here's a grief announcement that I know you are going to love. I'm going to say it all of February. Join us for our 28 days active healing challenge. Yes, 28 days of actively healing, right? How we're going to do that? We're going to do a solo of emotionally, mentally, or physically doing something for 28 days to actively heal. See, these, this active healing training is really going to give us an opportunity to be committed, to be focused. Remember, I told you, you have to take action. You have to do things to feel better because grief and heartbreak can feel so bad, right? So if we continue to move in the right direction, I sh by moving our bodies, by moving our minds, by moving our spirit, I strongly believe we will emotionally heal what we probably do not understand right now. So I'll be saying the same thing all month. Join our 28 days of active healing challenge where on all my social media platforms, Pinterest, Instagram, Herdeen Mercy or Facebook, Twitter, wherever you want to connect and join in, you do not want to miss out on it. I want you to tag me. I want you to show me what you're doing. I want you to participate because I really do believe this 28 days is going to really help you get to a place where you feel better about yourself. And now let me give you some little details. Every morning, starting February the 1st at 6 a.m., your task for today, your task that you would need to take action on will be released so you have to follow me on my social media platforms at herdeen mercier where you'll get the updates of what you need to do to actively heal to focus for 28 days let's do it <laughs> let's not just be about it let's take action because we're going to actively heal for 28 days in February. Sometimes we have to not say anything at all. It's not about saying something. It's about being there. Come on now. So welcome to another episode. And I'm just so thrilled. This is another sister that I have met on Clubhouse. And when I say she just blessed me in the room that she had opened up, that I was like, I have to have her on. And I think that night I invited her to be a guest on the Redefining Grief podcast. And this is no other than Mrs. Valerie Reed. Can you tell me, Mrs. Reed, what that experience was like with us talking and meeting so that we can just give a background of how now you are a guest. Just look how God works. Yeah, now you, know, you are a guest on the Redefining Grief podcast. Yes. Well, I mean, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invite and the just, you know, just the warm welcome. Um, it was just amazing how God works and how he connects us together and as people. Uh, just being in Clubhouse, I just, I mostly, I 
found myself listening, but I also found myself wanting to engage. And I think mm-hmm. that was a blessing in it to actually want to engage in it after hearing some of the testimonies and some of the things that people were have, have triumphed over and have, are currently going through, it made me want to engage and participate. And that's how our connection came because I heard you speak in another group and I was like, I have got to follow her. <laughs> she said some amazing stuff. So I was just like, I got to follow her. And then from there, when Cassilia and I did a room, then you came on and you know, and then the rest is history. So thank you again for the invite. You are so welcome. And I think I remember, you know, the reason why I invited you because of the way you talked about trying, just just the way you spoke about being in your grief journey and what you have decided to do. Now, before we even get into that, can you Uh explain to our listeners, my community called the Grief Crusaders, what Uh that grief journey was for you? Well, I, I, you know, the year was 2011 and my only sibling, my brother, uh, he passed away suddenly. He had, he was diagnosed with a tumor on his back. That tumor left him paralyzed from the waist down. And then from there, he ended up having a blood clot travel to his lung and he died. So that was traumatic all mm-hmm. by itself. That was June 3rd, 2011. I'll never forget that day because that was the last day of school for teachers and I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. So that was my last day of school. And I remember dealing with that and just, you know, just not even... I don't know. I just, I still feel like it's unreal, but it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a surreal moment. And then my mother, uh, who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer before all that happened with my brother, she uh, passed away January 19th, 2012. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of, you know, I had certain things in my mind as far as her, but it, her passing, but my brother, my brother passed, I think it took me, it took me a while to comprehend it. And I never thought I would have to be alone by myself dealing with my mother's death. I thought that he would always be there with me. So it was just, I don't know, again, it was just a surreal feeling. And then the fast forward, um, after, after celebrating 15 years of marriage uh, to my husband in June, that June, my husband was diagnosed with sarcoma, which is a, a rare form of soft tissue cancer. And he was diagnosed in August of 2012. Mm-hmm. He passed away October 14, 2012. So the grief journey has been like, it was bam, bam, bam. And it's like, I did not have time to truly process everything. I was just kind of going, it's just like, okay, you got to plan this funeral. Okay, you got to plan this funeral. You got to plan this funeral. And I, even with my with my brothers, I didn't even have time to grieve because I was so busy trying to make sure that my mother was okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't grieve properly. So, you know, I think I might have grieved a little bit differently when my mom died. Mm-hmm. But then when my husband died, I just didn't, I, I don't know. I got that I'm here because I know I remember just going through the motion. I don't remember, you know, doing things and I don't remember getting things done. So I know that it's it took a lot of uh, God's grace and mercy and angels watching over me to to get me to where I am now. 
Yeah. But you know what? I hear you saying that you had compounding grief, like one after the other, boom, boom, just being hit. Right. And then I hear you saying it was your husband grief that really kind of took you because we tell the truth on the grief grief you tell it like you tell it yeah that took you over the edge yeah where you were like i'm now experiencing yes um grief that i don't know my left from my right i don't know if i'm going if i'm coming but i know what i am going to do is i'm going to tap into my heavenly father we're going to have these conversations right um yes I'm going to do some stuff because I have to do something with these emotions, right? Right, right. And so I want to know if there was something that, or just talk about what you felt. Talk about, because I heard a lot of you were um, taking care of other individuals not to deal with your own grief journey. Yes. And... Well, you know, it's one of those things where I remember when my mother, when uh, it was time for my brother's viewing and we went to view his body. And I remember my mother just kind of just losing it. Mm-hmm. And I immediately grabbed her and was trying to comfort her. But at, at the time I was trying to get my, you know, I was trying to grieve as well and cry and have my emotions. But I'm grabbing her and I'm like, well, mom, it's okay. It's, you know, we're going to be okay. And I just, and it's like, I shut myself off from feeling all those feelings because I was trying to make sure she was okay. Mm-hmm. And then when she passed away, I don't really remember even crying. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't remember crying. I just wanted to make it through the service. My big thing was, let me make it through the service. Mm-hmm. And then when my husband died, I don't remember crying either that day, I remember I just wanted everything to go the right way. I wanted to make sure everything was in place. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't, it was, you know, if I did not make sure everything was okay, I felt like I had pressure. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had the pressure of if these things don't go right, what is his family going to say? What are the people going to say? You know, you, you know, you got to make sure everything's together. So I, I did. And I don't remember even truly I remember being at the service, but I don't remember, and I remember certain things about the service, but I don't remember truly engaging in the service because I was so busy. Okay, who's next on the program? You know, mm-hmm. who's next? All right, they need to be up here in so and so minutes, so and so time. Okay, let me check on the kids. Are the kids okay? Because my kids are were young. Mm-hmm. My youngest uh, son was three when all this happened. Mm-hmm. So in my um my oldest son, Ryan, my young son is Micah. My young oldest son is Ryan. And he was probably in fourth grade. He was in fourth grade. And my daughter, middle child, Kayla, she was in third grade. So I'm looking down, you know, I have friends that are, you know, sitting next to them, comforting them. I'm like, okay, are they okay? So I don't remember really just letting loose at the service and just feeling the emotions. I remember coming home and you know making sure things okay I would stay up at night cleaning and just doing weird things so that I wouldn't even comprehend I wouldn't think about it mm-hmm. so it took a while for me to just and then I would sit up at night and then I would cry when nobody was watching mm-hmm. you know because I had to be that strong person I had I could not I felt in my mind I couldn't let them see me 
crying. I couldn't let them see me upset. Even when I talked to my kids, I said, well, you know, we're going to have our moments. I said, but at the end of the day, we have got to figure out a way how to, to deal with this and move on. So we did go to counseling. We went to counseling mm -hmm. and it, it, it was good for a while. It was good. And um, basically I just told him, I said, we have to do, we have to do. People are going to feel sorry for you for maybe a few minutes, but at the reality is we have to keep going. You know, society is not going to stop. Life is not going to stop. Yes, people care, but you still have to function in society. It's a challenge and it still can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. But I but I know that um again I know where my help has come from and I, I know that it's nobody but God that has helped me that has brought me this far because again I remember just going through the motion. I didn't you know <laughs> I didn't know what I was whether I was coming or going. I just know that I was you put your clothes on, you do this, you go to work, you go to work, you do your thing, mm -hmm. you come home. Yeah. But so, I, would, I would tell you this, Valerie, um, that you were in what most people do when they are in this time. They are in the business of making sure the funeral and the service goes right. And they're not in the business of emotionally being vulnerable to be present to grieve. And so what happens is because you're not emotionally available to grieve during the service, because you have the pressure of just making sure that everything goes right for your loved one, right. that you also now have the burden of now grieving alone, which yeah. we do not want to happen, right? And yeah. so... When I think about this, I think about just listening to your journey, how just by having a, this conversation, we are now going to have the Grief Crusaders community really check themselves to say, oh my God, no, no wonder I have these emotions bottled up inside of me. Although I attended the memorial service, I was not emotionally available to release that's right. That's and right. so I know you had to have a release day. Yeah. What did that honestly look like for you? Because we know everybody's grief journey is going to look different. Mm -hmm. But what did that day look like for you when you finally allowed yourself to be emotionally available to heal? I think it looked for me as in, I, I know one day, and I don't know if it was this particular day or I don't remember what led up to the reality. The reality was I called my doctor and I, it was, well, it might've been one night when I just couldn't go to sleep and I just kept crying. And I said, I'm going to call my doctor in the morning. I said, because I need help. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I need, and so I called her and she immediately got me in and she knew my family and everything. So she was just like, okay. She gave me a prescription and she was just like, you really need to, you know, get, you know, take care of yourself, slow down, take care of yourself. And I was just like, I don't know how. And mm. I, 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 you know, I didn't know how. I didn't know how because again, I had, to, it was me. It was like, tag, you're it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I didn't have time to say, wait, well, wait a minute. You know, I, I'm not ready to be it or mm -hmm. I was it. <laughs> I was it, you know? And so uh, one of the, the analogies that I use for being a widow, uh, and that's not including the other losses, but just for being a widow in general, is that 
It's like you're signing up to be, you're, well, you didn't sign up. It's like you're running a marathon and you didn't sign up for it. Mm. I didn't train for it. I didn't sign up for it. I didn't even act like I was interested in this marathon. I just was like, okay, you're running, you know, shoes untied, you know, falling down. Mm. But, but I still had to pull over to the side, tie my laces up and get in. So I just, I, I had my moments. Um, I think the moment with confessing to my doctor that I needed help, um, that mm. really helped me. Um, just, I don't know, I, I've had to, a certain like releases and as we all know, grief comes in, in waves. And it's like, yes. for me, um, I'll have my moments. I'll still have my moments, but it's not, they're not as bad as they were. Um, it's more so along the lines of, I'll see something that'll trigger me. Or for me, the big thing for me, and I, I can only imagine what it's like for other people, but for me, I was used to my husband doing things uh, knowing about the house, knowing about the cars, knowing about the major things to do. And it's like, I had to call, I had to, you know, check on this and do this. And it's like, okay. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm not equipped to do this. I don't know how to do this. So I found myself, even at those moments, having mm -hmm. a release and I'm just like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do, you know, I hope I'm making the right decision. I need help. So I found myself, I found myself at those moments having, you know, just releases like, okay, God, I need you to help me because I don't know what to do. Help me make the right decision. Do I talk to this person? Do I talk to this person? Guide me, you know, guide me to where, who I'm supposed to talk to and, and please don't let them take advantage of me not knowing what to do. So it is, it's just, I've had my moments and I still have my moments, but I do know that it does, you know, you, you're able to cope with the better. I think you're saying, uh, oh, so many things to unpack. I think the very first thing that I want to unpack is I want to celebrate you for waking up that day and saying, I need to call my doctor. Yeah. Uh, because for asking for help sometimes is so hard for individuals, but mm -hmm. that began the very first sunlight over what yeah. seemed like darkness, right? Yeah. So yeah. asking for help, and that's what I'm getting from that. And then another thing that you said is like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't. And so that is telling the truth. Then that's one of the grief anchors. Like, I don't know what to do, but I know I'm gonna ask for some help. Yes. Right? And that's the that's the thing you you don't know what to do i did not know and i think this is what triggered me to want to even talk about it is because i did not know anyone else who had experienced it mm -hmm. and i'm just like god i know that there are, i know i can't be on a person but nobody was talking about it mm -hmm. and i'm like okay we i need to talk about this <laughs> i need to talk about this so i'm just like okay that's what inspired me to start writing but i was just like i gotta talk about this because i know that someone else is going through this or they will go through this mm -hmm. and it's like once i started talking about it i started feeling better and then other people started coming saying you know what I know somebody that needs to hear this. I, or I experienced this too, but I didn't talk about it because I didn't know anybody else that. So it's a big community of people that are dealing with this grief and loss, 
but they don't talk about it because they don't know anybody that really talks about it. And then I also feel like in our communities, we don't talk about it. You know, we talk about it briefly and then we brush over it and then we go on with our lives like everything's okay and it's not. And it's not. There is this illusion that it's really driving us, but that is not the truth. Right. You know, you know, I should say there's this illusion that we are driving it, but it is really driving us. Mm -hmm. That emotion, that unknown emotion is really driving us. And that's why I strongly believe that when you go through your life situations of having what we call grief, no matter what that grief may be, you empower yourself when you educate yourself. Yes. And you empower yourself and you spoke to it. I think the reason a lot of us are suffering for so long is because we're not tapping into that third anchor that I believe is beneficial to helping us going through the emotions, right? And that is connection. We're not connected with the right people that will hold space for us to grieve without judgment. That's right. And and a big part of my mission has been to educate us on what to say. And and I'm so adamant about it because it is disturbing some of the things that people say to people who are grieving loss, whatever that loss is. As a community, as a society, we truly don't know what to say. Mm -mm. We say things that are hurtful, even though our intentions may not be. Come on now. Say things that are hurtful and people walk away even more grieved than they were when they when they walked in the door. So that's been part of my mission is to have these different, I call them courageous conversations. Yes. We have to have the courageous conversations. And that's part of, you know, that's a big part of it. We got to know what to say to people. And sometimes, and and I've come to realization, I, I tell people all the time. Sometimes we have to not say anything at all. It's not about saying something. It's about being there. Come on now. And I know people want to help, but your help of coming over and just sitting there, if I need to talk or if I want to say something, or could you just go over here and sweep this, sweep the, you know, get the, get the uh, leaves out the yard. I mean, it's not about so much saying stuff. Is it about actions? Come on now. And I think, I really think we have got to get away from saying these things. Oh, well, you know, they're in a better place. Well, I don't want to hear that right now. Come on, come on, speak to that, please. <laughs> I don't want to hear that right now. And, 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 and we say some of the things, some of the things, and, and had I not gone through the things that I've been through, maybe I wouldn't understand it either. But I know one of my missions and one of my roles is mm-hmm. to educate us and help us know that sometimes people don't need don't need you to say anything. They just need you to be there. Yeah. I have a great illustration of that. I had um, when I when I took my husband to the ER for the first time, and he ended up in ICU for probably a month before he passed away. There was a lady um, from my church. She came, her name was Mrs. Lisa. She was battling uh, breast cancer. And she came in, she had a mask on her face and her, she came in with her husband and she just sat there. And then she sat in quiet, didn't say anything. 
And then after a while, she said, Valerie, how can I help you? And I was like, oh, because I was one of those people and I still am to certain extent. I don't need any help. I'm fine. I might need some help, but I'm not going to let you know I need help. Mm-hmm. So I said, Miss Lisa, I don't need anything. Everything is, you know, she said, Valerie, mm. I am here to help you. Let me help you. This is my assignment. And I said, okay. I got chills. <laughs> so I said, okay. Because again, I felt that she could not help me because she was dealing with her own stuff mm-hmm. and it's two points to this we can still help somebody even though we're going through our stuff mm-hmm. it doesn't prevent us from helping somebody else all, all she did was she said i'm going to go to the store my husband's going to take me to the store we're going to get some stuff for your kids for lunch and i'm gonna drop it off at your house she didn't say anything else she said i'm here she walked away she was not a big talker, but just her being there and just her saying, I'm going to do this. She didn't ask, and she asked me, but she really didn't ask me. She was telling me that she was going to help me. And I, I, what, I, what I found is that, and what's annoying to me is that when people know that people have a situation going on, I even, I've had people tell me, oh, we didn't know. You do know my situation. Mm-hmm. So I have to rehash, relive the situation again to mm-hmm. tell you that I am a widow. I have three children. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like, you already know. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, if you want to do something to help someone, you do it. You don't let all these, oh, well, I didn't know, all these excuses. If we're here to bless a brother or a sister and we know that situation, we don't need to ask them. We need to do it. Mm-hmm. We do it. I was talking to another widow uh, at a book festival I attended and she was saying how she was expressing the same thing. And long story short, she said the people at her, her her late husband's job, they didn't ask her what she needed. They just came to the house one day and they started washing the windows and, you know, working on the exterior. Mm -hmm. So it's like people outside of our circle can see what we need but the people inside our circle they can't they don't grasp it they don't get it they'll know our situation Mm -hmm. but they don't want to do they won't move in Mm -hmm. but you know what i will say to this what people cannot support us where they are emotionally unavailable because supporting us sometimes mean for them that they have to deal with the reality of the truth that is currently happening. Yes. But now you are a widow with three kids. That is not the dream they had for you in their mind. Yes. Yes. And so that is sometimes their way of staying in the denial of what is happening. And I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that's uh-huh. how, because when I say I've had friends and family, mm-hmm. and I have a big family, but I've had like my husband's side of the family, they have just kind of detached. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, how do you detach from somebody that you quote unquote love? I mean, how do you, but it's just like over the years, I've gotten better with it. I'm like, okay, they're not they're not at a place where they can be, yeah, be supportive. And and I had to accept that, but it was hard for me to accept. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It was very hard for me to accept that. I didn't understand. And I still don't, but I'm more accepting of it. Yeah, yeah. Because actually for some individuals, um, being in relationship with you may also also be a place of hurt for them because of the reality that their son, um, their cousin, the man that they love is not there. So they cannot be emotionally available for us. Right. And so oftentimes when we think about it, I just think this conversation really is opening our eyes to sometimes it doesn't mean that they don't love us. It's just that they are not willing to be vulnerable, to be in a space to heal with us. But the thing about God is that I strongly believe is he always sends our healing um, community. Because what you will notice is the people that are there to support you, sometimes grievers are like, I did not expect that person to be there for me. Yes, yes. Yes. So he always has our back. He does. He does. I, I'm a witness to that in, mm-hmm. in more ways than one. Ms. Lisa was just a one example. Mm-hmm. But there have been people that I didn't even know, not close to, didn't even know their phone number, mm-hmm. sending me cash apps saying, you know, I know you don't know me, but, you know, I want to mm-hmm. be supportive. You know, I, I, you know, I didn't have a relationship with you or your husband, but I heard your story. So it's just like, I know that everything works out for the good. Mm-hmm. I, I truly know that. I, mm-hmm. I, it's not just a scripture that I read, but I truly have witnessed it. And I know that to be true and, and to be real, that all things do work together for the good. And, 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 and I know, I know for a fact that again is nothing but God's grace and mercy. I, I know that. Mm-hmm. I know that. So I don't take it for granted. I, you know, I, I don't take it for granted. My goal mm-hmm. and my mission is to help other others, others, especially the women, because mm-hmm. I know we have, you know, we 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 go from you go from having a spouse or having siblings and having parents to being alone, doing it on your own is not an easy thing. So that's one of my uh, goals as well is to be supportive to other women as well. That's so good. I think I want to get to a place, Valerie, for you, where people hear that, you know, you've had these three back-to-back deaths um, in your life. And it was your husband's death that really had you on the edge. How did you find um, the emotional strength to be vulnerable to heal right and put the pieces back together because i believe oftentimes individuals are afraid to be broken but what they don't realize is when they embrace the pain of being broken they give themselves permission to heal so for you i would say is what was it like putting the pieces back together for you on an emotional and an emotional part of it for me, um, I'm the type of person where I'll be in the moment and I'll hear our conversation, but I will go back and reflect on the words that were said. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, way before my husband was diagnosed, way before we even knew anything about him being sick or anything, 
I remember having a conversation with him just so like it was yesterday. We were sitting on the couch talking about something. I don't remember what the, something was. And all of a sudden he said, you know, if anything ever happened to me, I wouldn't want you to be, I want you to be happy. I don't want you to be alone. I don't want you to be worried about, you know, you know, he said, I would want you to go on with your life. Mm. And I don't know how I retrieved that from my brain. And I don't remember the moment that I did, but I know after I did, freed me up to think, okay, he's okay. I'm still here. I need to be able to navigate and take care of myself and these kids. Mm -hmm. So, and he's pretty much, you know, I need to, you know, I need to figure out, you know, how am I going to live the rest of this life? You know, am I going to sit and cry all night or am I going to, uh, to move on, try to press on and move forward the best I can? Another thing is, um, I remember hearing my mother say, um, she said, you're going to have to be strong. And I was just like, okay, be strong. I was like, okay. And I knew she, I didn't want to face reality that she was dying, mm-hmm. but just like, that's the reality, <laughs> you know? And she was telling me where things were and what to do and this and that. And I wasn't really trying to hear it, but I was like, okay. But after what she said, she said, you're going to have to be strong. And I knew that she was talking about for her passing, but I didn't, I, I, after after the fact, I thought I was just like, was she preparing me for what's going to happen to my husband? You know, was she preparing me for what's going to happen in life? I'm big on looking up what things mean. And so I've looked up what my name was probably when I was a teenager, but I never, fast forward to, you know, life now, I never thought about what my name meant. And I looked at my name not too long ago. And in the Latin, it means strong. And it just really, I was just like, okay. And I, um, to me, I just felt like that was God saying, you already know what to do. You, your assignment, you already know your assignment is. You you are able, you've been assigned to handle these tough things that, that come along. Your, your name means strong. You were meant to handle these things and be able to help and encourage others. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just... I, I can't explain it. I just know that there have been moments where I had to reflect and I'd be like, okay, what did, what, you know, I processed it. Okay, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. And I just go from there. You know what? I hear you saying strong, but what I also get, because I can see your face and we're talking, that is that emotional strength yeah. that carried you over, right? Yeah. That is that emotional strength of saying, I'm going to be vulnerable when you ask for help. Yes. yes. It is that emotional strength of allowing yourself to shed your tears. It yes. is that emotional strength by listening to your husband give you permission to move on by actually processing your emotions. Yeah. And so that is what I am getting. And then you have redefined your journey by identifying what your name means. Mm -hmm. Come on, somebody. 
You know, I and it, it just I, and I realized this. I was doing an interview on this radio show not too long ago, and I, I just chills went on my body because I was just like, man, I'm just like, I was like, God, you are just amazing because you already knew. You know, God already predestined. He already knew. You know, and it's just like, how amazing is that? That your name means what you will go through or what you will deal with and how you will handle it. And again, like you said, the emotional side of it, just being able to recognize the emotions of it. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I it, it's, it's been a, an amazing, amazing, amazing journey. Yeah. And you know what? I have to really commend you before we end today's um, interview. I have to really commend you for making the time in the space to heal. And you did not allow the busyness of life to really rob you of the opportunity of being present, no matter how messy it got emotionally. And so I want to thank you for showing up for your life by deciding you are going to do the work of healing by being present in it. And um, I want to give you an opportunity to really talk about your book, share the title, and tell us as an author, um, what was the mission behind the book? Okay. Well, actually, I have three books. Mm -hmm. The first one... The first one was state is called Stay Strong, Finish Strong. Mm -hmm. And it was just basically talking about it goes back. Well, for Stay Strong and Finish Strong, I thought it was important for me to go back and talk about when I truly first felt lost. Mm -hmm. And that first loss was not someone dying. It was the death of the relationship between my dad and myself. Mm -hmm. When When I was three years old. My mother and my father separated and my mother, my brother and I, we moved to Las Vegas from California. Mm. So that was truly my first loss. Mm. And so I I talk about that loss, what that felt like. And I, and I fast forward to other things in my life, to college. And then I talk about the three uh, losses that I experienced. That stay strong for the strong. And grieving under God's grace, I it's just a prayer journal of different prayers that I prayed while experiencing the grief and loss. And then I felt led to pray for others. And it's just a prayer journal, just talking about different prayers that'll help support you when you're grieving or whenever. And then my third book, I just got copies in. I'm out, out of everything, but my third book is called Through Micah's Eyes. Mm-hmm. And it's a children's book. And the reason why I wrote this, and I actually wrote this book first, <laughs> But I held it off. I held off because I didn't know. I knew it was a there was a point to it, but I didn't know if it would be something that people want to read. Mm-hmm. And I had scripted it out. And this story is about my son Micah, who was like I said, who was three when my husband died. He had questions, and I noticed his behavior changed. And I knew that there was something I had to do. And that's that's when we went to counseling. But I also knew that I had to be pro, uh, proactive and do something here with him. And it was just, this book was meant to address issues of grief and loss. It's very short, but it gets to the point. And it also talks about how as parents, guardians, aunts, uncles, we need to help our children 
You know, they have questions. They want to know. We need to help them. We need to talk about grief and loss. It's real. You know, I remember uh, when Micah came home from school one day, he had a book that he loved reading, but it was a book and it was, a, it had teddy bears. And I know the concept of the teddy bears, but I was just like, I want something where it shows real people that look like us that are grieving and all the emotions and all the feelings and the tears and you're going to see the casket you're going to see a service you're going to see them go to the cemetery and so I wanted it to be a real experience because this is what the reality is this is what mm -hmm. we see mm -hmm. and I want our children I want the conversation to start it didn't have to end with this but I want the conversations to start and talk about grief and loss and how we need to, to help our children with it because our children are coming to school every day and they're expected, like I said, they're expected to function in society, go mm -hmm. on with their lives and they've dealt with this stuff. How do we help them do that? Yeah. So those, those are my books. Um, I'm working on some other things, but those that's where my heart is to talk about grief and loss because I know mm -hmm. it's something that we don't talk about a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I just think giving them the language through those books uh, or giving individuals the different books that you have, we'll definitely be putting the links to those in our show notes. Um, and I really believe that if any of this has touched you, you want to get in contact with um, Valerie and really, really, really spend some time, especially for children, giving them the, um, yeah. imagine us as adults not having the vocabulary to describe yes. how we emotionally feel. And I strongly yes. believe when you heal a mother, you heal the next generation. And I'm That's seeing right. that in you. Like you've gone through this experience, but you're triumph. You're, 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 you're really trying to propel forward by educating the next generation. That's my hope and my goal yes. and my prayer. <laughs> yes. And so before we close out, I would love to ask you what I call my redefining pearls of wisdom questions. And the very first question is, um, number one, what have you learned about yourself since redefining your grief journey? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Man, I've learned so much, but I would say that I have learned, um, I've learned that there are times when I do need help mm -hmm. and then I need to ask. Um, I'm a very independent person. I don't like asking, I don't like to bother, but I've been put in a position where I have to ask. Mm -hmm. And I've had to be okay with that because I even, you know, I think about the Bible and what it says. It says we have not because we ask not. Mm -hmm. And so if I don't ask, you know, sometimes some people won't know. There are going to be some that do, but some people won't know or won't be able to. So I, I have to at least ask. And mm -hmm. I, I, I don't I don't know. So I've had to learn to be vulnerable, to let my guard down a little bit and ask, ask for help when I need it. Yeah. That's good. And then the second question is, if today was your last day and you had five words or less to share, what would that be? Oh, man, I would say just enjoy life, live, 
be present. Mm. You know, I, I think one of the biggest takeaways, and I don't know if it was you that said it or someone else, and it might have been you, in one of the clubhouse I, uh, sessions I was listening to, it's like being present, um, being present to feel the emotions that you feel, mm-hmm. being present to if I'm having this conversation with you, focusing on the conversation with you, not looking at my cell phone, not looking outside, mm-hmm. not wondering what, what, not looking at my calendar. Okay, what do I have? What do I have next? Actually engaging and being present. Mm, that is so good. You're right, and I, I think what people don't realize, the truth of the matter is, this may be the last conversation that we get to have, and some people will be like, um. Uh, that sounds so cynical, but the truth of the matter is we do not know the future. Know. We just right. know right now. That's right. And so That's let right. it be one that is filled with great memories or just about a time where I was present with her or him to enjoy it. And my last question is during your dark times, like I love to sing, what is a song that gets you through? Oh man, I'm a music connoisseur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I I mean, I can't even say one song, but I know one of my favorite songs, just one of my favorite songs is mm-hmm. uh, Breathe Unto Me, O Lord mm-hmm. by Fred Hammond. Mm-hmm. It's an old, old, old song. And another one is uh, by Marvin Sapp. It's an old song too. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the time, not the place. Mm-hmm. And what it is about those songs that get you through? Well, breathe unto me, O Lord. It says, breathe unto me, O Lord, the breath of life. So that my heart is like, it's talking about how if God breathes into us, mm-hmm. then we can go on and we can do the things that he has for us to do. Uh, not the time, not the place. It says, not the time, not the place. Just believe, keep the faith. Got to learn how to wait, wait on the Lord. And it's like, and he says, there's still hope for the hopeless. And so it's like those words, it's like, when you're down and when you feel like there is no hope, there is like, there is hope. There's mm-hmm. hope, you know. It's a reminder. It's a reminder. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing oh. your experience with the Grief Crusaders community. I already know that the impact it will have on individuals, just like you said, the power of asking for help. Yeah. And being vulnerable to show up. I um, thank you for sharing your time with my listeners. Um, and I look forward to our building our relationship yes, thank you. on this journey called life. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I don't, I don't take your kindness for granted. Thank you. You are so welcome.